Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. we can celebrate the unsung and the undervalued. A place where we can focus on the many talents and influences from women within the culture in hopes to inspire women everywhere to overcome adversity in a male-dominated world. Welcome to Woman in Hip Hop. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Woman in Hip Hop Podcast. I'm your host, Jazzy Bell, and today we have an amazing show because we have an amazing guest. She is a fashion icon in hip hop. Y'all seen some of the biggest stars wear her stuff. Y'all know this is a hip hop podcast, so I'm just gonna say my faves, Tupac and Biggie. Okay, enough said. We are here with the living legend, April Walker from Walker Wear. How are you, April? I'm well, thank you for having me today, sis. This is gonna be such a girl chat because I'm fanning out right now, so I'm gonna be asking you just some questions that I feel has been dying inside of me to ask someone like yourself that has seen it all and been through it all. So this is such an honor, such an honor. No problem, I look forward to it. Yes, so let's get right to it. Um, Like I said, some of the biggest stars have Warriors stuff, Biggie, Tupac, Run, DMC, the list goes on and on. And you have been one of the first ones to really make it happen as far as the fashion game and hip hop. So you have to take me to the time, the day that you fell in love with hip hop first. I have to hear that. The day I fell in love with hip hop, that's really hard to recall, but I can remember being a kid and really like remembering wanting to go to the parties, like the um, parties in the gym. We used to have parties in the gyms and at public schools, like, and I was not even a teenager by this point, I don't think, but like, Sugar Hill, you know, before Sugar Hill, there was um, there was Kaz, it was like Shyrock, uh, it was, you know, Funky Four plus one more. Like those are the people that really like, really made me understand like, oh, this is me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I fell in love at that point, right? Right then it was something I knew that I wanted to hear more and more of, and then Mr. Magic, right? And you come home and Friday nights, you would definitely be taping those sessions and just all of it, everything, going to the world, going to the Fever Club, you know, before I was even supposed to be there sneaking in, you know? Those were those moments though, that you really soaked up that energy of hip hop and and then I just wanted in. So it, it began like, late 70s for me in the 70s oh so when you when it comes to fashion and you want to end what was it that made you want to create walk, uh, walk aware was it because you was at these parties you were like y'all not fly i could hook y'all up like what was it <laughs> i think it was like my father was in the music industry so he was literally creating his own beats and doing his own thing he managed a lot of uh musicians so i grew up as a jazz baby mm-hmm. and i grew up 
listening around a lot of jazz people and they have their own distinctive styles mm -hmm. so he was always so left to me and i remember him being one of the people my mom had on the whole another side coming from the midwest but she she's also um mexican roots so a lot of like navajo and mexican like an outdoorsy stuff so that mesh of all of it being different and us having a lot of introduction to culture by music by the arts by always being out like new york was such a background in the 70s and the 80s so i think all of that made me know that i could express myself and be different but then um hanging out like you said like once i became like in high school i started really finding my own expression in fashion and by the time i was in college i just fell in love with it i was like this is what i'm gonna do you know um i walked into dapper dance one day and and that was it like that the epiphany went off and i was you know it was like an epiphany moment where i was like okay this could really be a business and so he inspired me to create my own custom shop and we started making our own designs and that really was just from the gut and from really inside and doing what we believed i love that story because i did see you mention that in um netflix's the remix that you were featured in as well and i know you're from brooklyn so it's funny how you went to Harlem because was he, he was in Harlem at the time, right? Yeah, he was, he was in Harlem. And I know the saying because I lived in New York for like 17 years myself. So okay. <laughs> Manhattan be making it. Brooklyn girl came in, saw it, got it. Right, keep on taking it. Um, yeah, <laughs> like we hung all over. So the fever was in the Bronx. We, we, I mean, we were all over New York City. You couldn't hold us back and New York was like some different energy in the 80s you had to be there you know what I mean and I was all in and, and every club and everything that was hip-hop so yeah definitely so fashion and effect you took it you took that inspiration and you created the store so fashion and effect fashion and effect talk to me about that and this young Brooklyn girl that opened up a store like it sounds believable and feasible nowadays but i it's even hard though now but in right. the 80s to do that take me to that place and how that happened for you so i can't remember when i really just owned it but i can remember my father told me not too long ago that we went to see a movie one of spike's movies and i was in college huh which one <laughs> i can't remember if it was she's gotta have it but we went to see it. It was in the eighties. And he said, I was, I was still at New Falls college and university. And we went, I was home and I came out of the movie theater. And he said that there was a woman at the phone booth, a young lady, and she had like a denim jacket all blinged out and like had written all over it and stuff. And he said, I pointed to her and I was like, you see her? And he said, yeah, no. He said that I came out of the, the movie theater and I said, I don't want to go back to school, dad. And he was taken aback, like, I could, because I was a junior by now, right? And he was like, why? And I was like, you see her? And I pointed to the woman on, at the phone booth and he said, yeah. And I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. That's what I want to do. 
And he said he thought it was so whack, you know, like at that moment, like what she had on. But he was just always like respecting the art first. Yeah. So he was like, go for it, you know? And, and literally we started out of my home and we had like a, a home studio that we converted in a homemade cutting table and just created everything. And then about six months in, we saw we had something and I went and I secured my first shop and lease called Fashion and Effect at 212 Green Avenue, which was in Clinton Hill, right before you get to Bed-Stuy. And in the 80s, it was not the same as the gentrified Brooklyn we live in now, you know? But that's how it started. And literally with a homemade sign that we made, an awning we put up, um, we went and painted it. We got the supplies from Pearl Paints, which was like this legendary place on Canal where all the artists would go. And we just put our heart in it. That's how it started. And from there, they said, your tribe will find you. And energy feeds energy. And our tribe found us. Like two friends told two friends because there was no internet, right? Mm -mm. So it was literally word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my father was managing, like before I opened a shop, he was managing Jazz and Jay-Z. And so, yeah, so he, so I already had people that I knew, you know, in Brooklyn. Biggie was my neighbor. Um, so I used to see him on Fulton, but I didn't know him. And then one day, this 15-year-old round kid comes in my shop. He saw Eric B. and Rakim's shirt, and he asked about it, and it struck up a conversation. And, and you know, from there, he became a client, and we became friends, you know? Shout out I was to about 21, yeah. Wow, go ahead, sis. I'm inspired. Mm -hmm. That's such an amazing story. But your Thank father, you walk My father way. is an OG. He For managed sure. D Train, a lot of people, McCoy Tyner, a lot of big, big artists. What it sounds to me, young, beautiful girl, 21, opened up a store. Uh, oh my God, in the 80s. And you know how in New York, you know, people hanging out at the bodega. And I can just see, like you say, your tribe. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Finding you, it's like she's young, she's our age, she's cute, she's... Uh, right, the, um, I am the culture, you know what I mean? Because I was already in it, like the clubs, everything, I got it. Like I just, I wanted to eat, breathe, and do this. You know what I mean? And there was nothing in the streets. We couldn't go in the stores and buy anything that represented us. We were already like buying our stuff oversized baggy and, you know, having to do the work ourselves, blinging it out. So I just wanted to create that for my tribe. So we had choices. That's really how it started. And then I think because there was so much love into it, we started airbrushing, we started acrylic painting, we started, we did everything from gowns to tuxedos to velour sweatsuits and, you know, the coats. And, you know, a lot of people don't know, like we started with a lot of couture. So, you know, that back then there were a lot of, it was different. There were hustlers that you would find in the clubs with the, with the correction officer or, uh, an entertainer, a celebrity, you, you know, it was just, New York was like a melting pot, literally. So we were creating for the melting pot. Mm -hmm. 
speaking of creating, I call you the creator of the baggy jeans and the, the whole jean sweat. Talk to me about that um, creation, because I know by watching the remix, it was a lot of the complaints. It was like these pockets aren't big enough. Right. So you came in and you fulfilled that voice. So when I saw that, I was like, so she created the look, the baggy look. That's the reason why the dudes are out here. <laughs> Talk to me about that. It was necessity. Like you said, like, honestly, men couldn't even fit their hands in their pockets at that time. And men wanted to fit a lot of stuff in their pockets. So they would come and complain in the shop. They would ask for the same things, baggier pockets, um, bigger pockets. They wanted deeper pockets. They wanted, um, so when they asked for deeper pockets, we were trying to think of a way to make them cool. Um, that there, we needed more leg room, right? For to be able to have deeper pockets. And also they wanted lower crotches drop the crotch, right? So it was like more breathing room, basically. And then you had baggier leg room. And you have to think at this time in the 80s, hip hop was really exploding. So now you had dancers where we didn't, before they were dancers in the club, you know? So dancers, Heavy D and the boys, all these people had started having dancers, right? So they wanted baggier fits so they could move. And that, you know, that played a big part of us listening to those customers and creating that. And Timberlands were like part of a uniform back then. Everyone in Brooklyn owned a pair of Tims. So we made sure that the denim bottoms that we made our bull denim would fit inside of the Tims or it could go outside of the Tims. So now we have bootlegs, but it wasn't called bootleg then. It was just like, catering to those needs of the customers and then hearing those same things over and over and over again that's how we started our own walk aware that's how walk aware was created just listening and seeing those pain points and addressing that yes when did it become clear to you that we really have something big what was that pivotal moment in walk aware's life in that time where you're like oh my god this I'm, I'm on to something. That's a good question. I think in the very beginning, maybe I'll say right now, as you say that, I think everything was confirmation in different ways. So like, I can say three or four things right now in the beginning. One was Audio 2 came in the store one day. MC Light brought them. They wanted, they were from Brooklyn and they wanted to represent Brooklyn. And they were doing the cover for I Don't Care. And they asked me if I could do the cover. And that was the first time I did an album cover ever. But from that, I learned about styling because they came back and asked me to style a video. And then I started a styling division, which we were able to product place a lot before there was product placement. So we were one of the first to product place as well and create product placement. And that was literally out of revenue stream, which became great because as artists started blowing up and hip-hop got bigger our visibility got bigger you know what i mean but it was like literally two birds with one stone we make money styling we make money creating custom clothes you know so that was one thing um audio too i remember biggie when he got signed the bad boy 
it was for me like, okay, we're going with him. You know, that's how I felt like, because we were part of that like relationship and he stayed true to it. Yeah. Mm. I can remember the first time I saw a customer that I didn't know on the street, we got our stuff in the stores. And I remember that. And I remember how that felt seeing them in New York, just walking down the street. And it was like, we made it, you know, that's how it felt, you know? Um, yeah. And I, and I would have to say that run DMC, mm -hmm. run DMC. You know, I remember the first time I met Jam Master Jay and I was in a club and he came up to me and asked for a card and then I became their stylist, you know, but it was literally like that call the next day that you were like, it was surreal. Like I'm getting ready to make something for Run DMC, you know, which is like legendary. Yes. Another That's such a legendary group and they paved the way. I say they're the biggest hip hop group ever. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like it's been such a blessing. I mean, you know, all of it. So I'm saying that to say there were so many little moments that created big moments. They were little moments at that moment because it's not here, right? We were just building. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know it was going to become this. You know, we were just in it. But I remember when I met Tupac, you know, and that was a whole nother relationship that just really like took me other places you know what i mean above the rim and you know creating a lot of the clothing for that and doing his first videos and you know just really he was inspiring because he was a true artist but he was also very proactive about wanting to represent for his own people so all of those things i take none of those relationships or experiences for granted and i'm so thankful to god for them how did you meet tupac how did that relationship build? I think I met him. I met him a few times, but it was like in passing. So he was really great friends with a friend of mine, Stretch. Yes. Yeah, not here anymore. But Stretch was part of Ed Lover and that whole crew from Queens. And I was tight with all of them. And I was styling for No Face, which was a division from Def Jam. So I was doing a lot of work for Mark Sex. Shout out to Mark Sex, who was actually the head of No Face. And one day I remember I was styling a group called BWP, Bitches with Problems. And they were, we were on set in Queens, I think. And he came with Stretch. And that was one time, I mean, that was early on. And another time I was on the set of Juice, like when they were first casting. This is before they did the movie. They would trying to cast and and i was trying to be in it so i went and i wore one of my velour sweatsuits and uh it was really nice with a bucket hat i remember him coming up like who made that suit and i did and he was like yeah right you know but from that i started you know not from that day because i can't remember which came first but i started styling him you know and that's how that started him seeing that he kept seeing me, you know what I mean, styling. And so it just happened organically. Wow, that's a lot of great history that you just said right there. Juice, did you want to be it as an actor or you want Yeah, because I just was like, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Like I was always trying to push my brand, but I wore it that day and it worked out because I had my brand on. I wasn't in it, but it's cool. Like it was a bigger play there. Wow. And then above the room, you mentioned, of course, we see him wearing uh -huh. the piece in that. 
how did you land that gig to style above the rim? So there, so I wasn't the um, stylist for it, but he called me, right? And he asked, um, could I make wardrobe for it? And I was like, well, we've got to meet the wardrobe designer, you know? So we went down there together and he introduced me. I met Bernie Mac. I met Karen. She was the wardrobe yeah. designer or the wardrobe stylist for the movie. She was really cool. And um, he was like, I want her to make all my clothes for the movie. And she was like, she can't make everything, but we can include her, you know? So he was like, well, then I want all black designers, you know, do you know anybody else? And I was like, yeah. So I got 5,001 flavors in as well. You know, so I introduced them. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To 5001, and they got in it. And I know he had um, the brand, 100 Miles brand. I did not know them at the time, but he brought them in. So Pac was really intentional, you know? And we got to really um, make the camouflage outfit that's in the movie. We made the actual um, hooked vest with the pants, you know, that scene in the, in the, yeah. The hook vest. It's a, it's, and that was inspired because we did like this whole outdoors program. Like I said, the whole outdoors. So we love the whole idea of fishing. I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted some utilitarian, like we wanted it to be workwear i'm very much into workwear when it comes to my designs and just creating like functional um long-lasting um classics and timeless pieces a lot of my fabrications are uh really I'm, i focus on quality i focus on um earth tones and muted colors you know i also do colors but i'm not like the bright 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 person even though spring will be a little bright but on the everyday you know i want you to have something that you can have wear now or it won't like be disposable like you could pull it out 10 years from now and still be good you know of course forever pieces Ugh. You got some forever memories. I wonder, this wasn't part of like my whole questionnaire thing, but thinking about that time, you being, you know, close knit to Biggie, of course, growing up with him and him being one of your first clients and then working alongside Tupac, when they began to have their friction, mm -hmm. where were you in that? Were you involved in it in a sense where they, I don't want to say consulted you or spoke with you about it or what were your feelings when that was happening because you worked with both of them and you obviously you know liked both of them so mm -hmm. how did you feel just being in the midst of that it was hard it was really difficult because I, I i used to hang out with them you know because biggie lived over here and Pac used to come see him so we literally all hang out together you know so when they fell out I stayed out of it because my first relationship, you know, they were friends, but I'm a business owner and I'm professional. So I didn't want to be in it or be in the middle of anything. So I just really stayed out of it. Um, they both, you know, I would say Pac more than 
then Big talked about it. You know, I remember when Pac got shot and I remember talking to Big in the hospital. Like they called me from the hospital, Pac and Big. So he did go see him when he got shot like right after but it was just it was it was it was hard it was hard watching them fall out it was really difficult and painful because media paid played a really big part at bringing that apart you know the east coast west coast all of that could have been avoided so we were all really young and to watch them get caught up in it and know it like i saw what was happening and it you want to talk to them, but you don't have like enough influence with a person to change their mind. That's painful. They have to see it on their own. And hopefully, and 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 it's it's heartbreaking because they're two of the best that ever did it, and they were both really good people. Thank you for sharing that. And you said he went to visit him. That was the first time he got shot. Unfortunately, we know how Tupac. Yeah, was. the first time. Uh, well, that was yeah, that was that was no, that was actually he went to visit him in Vegas that time when it. No, happened. no. Remember when he got shot at the studio? Yeah, Qua Studios. That time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was here. So April, did they call you to be like, talk to your boy? What's going on? Like, did they actually? No, 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 Pac. So, so literally, so this is crazy. Easy Moby was my neighbor too. He lived right next door. So the night he got shot, Tupac called like, I'm coming over to see Easy Moby. Are you gonna be home? I'm gonna come back, right? And so I said, yeah. And then he called me back and said, hey, I just got a call to do these drop these things, I'm getting paid. I'm gonna to go to the studio. I don't think I'm gonna make it. And he never, I, that was it. Like, and then I found out he got shot. And then the next day, I guess um, they were in the hospital. He had surgery or whatever. And he, this is either before or after, I can't remember. But the next day he called me and I, and Biggie was there visiting. And he was, he, I talked to Biggie for a minute, like, yeah, you know, he's going to be all right, this and that, you know, I talked to Pop first and he gave him. So at that point, they were still okay. Wow. At that moment. Mm -hmm. But you take time and you think about things and you start seeing them differently and, you know, and then you have the, the press at. Corn fuel to the fire. You already know things yeah. change that quick. Yes. Wow. Well, being, you know, a woman in hip hop being caught in, in, you know, just the culture, this is the culture. This is what it is. And this is what it was at the time. And at that time, you kept your gender a secret. And that was intentional. Right. Um, talk to me in about the beginning. I did that. So the industry knew, right? Like the insiders, like Pac and Big and people that run DMC, like the, I can say like men really did support me and lift me up inside the circle. But when I decided to do walk aware, I felt like I needed to keep that a secret because it was a very misogynistic time. And like you said, being an entrepreneur wasn't even celebrated then. It was like, are you crazy? Like, you know, it was about a career or having a good job and all of these other things. And then 
women weren't being celebrated. And I was doing menswear. Yeah. And I was doing hip hop, which wasn't proven yet. Like they thought the music was here and it was making money, but they, I would hear from every buyer, this is a fad, it's gonna go away. Like, why would I buy it, you know? So I wanted to not be in front of the brand. We had men work with us, we had females work with us. So depending on if it was um, a men's buyer or a women's buyer would depend on who was showing the line. Mm. You know what I mean? It was very, very thoughtful, but I didn't promote with interviews. I didn't do a lot of that until the brand stood on its own two feet so strong that I felt like now I could go ahead and start doing interviews and people can know now. But it was a long time when we before we were like once we, you know, New York Times and WWD and all these, and they still was like, you would see other faces. They didn't know if it was Tupac fine or, you know, naughty by nature. And a lot of people that were wearing it at that time. And I just let the product bleed. Mm. Yeah, in, in the um, film, the remix on Netflix, you said you double oppression. That's how you look it at it. It was double oppression. It still is. Right now I'm dealing with um, a situation where off-white, has just basically knocked me off, you know? And, um, you know, I'm dealing with it and I can't talk too much about it, but what I have noticed is that same screaming that we heard when Dapper Dan got knocked off, I'm not hearing it the same way. And it's just amazing to me that in 2021, like women have to fight for every inch of every space still, you know? And we've come a long way, but we still have work to do. Speaking of Virgil and Off-White, I saw the post where um, you could see the split screen of the very much similarities of what he did versus what you have done years ago. And I was reading some- We have it out now. Like it's It's been out for the last, I'll say, since 2011 we've been doing that shirt in that that style mm -hmm. again you know again exactly and um i was going to say the same thing the just echoing what you said i'm like i remember reading about dapper dan and when gucci copied his style it was an outcry to the point where gucci had to eventually collaborate with this man. Um, you're right. I'm not hearing it in the same fashion. It's as interesting. Right. So. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. I know you said you can't talk about it too much, but. It's just so hard because I was just going to ask you if it came to a point where Virgil from Off White reached out to you and say, "Let's collaborate." Would that some would that be something you would be open to? Just like what happened with Dapper Dan and Gucci? I can't say, sis, because you know he. It, it depends on the conversation. It depended. It would depend on, on that moment if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Have you heard from him yet? Mm -hmm. Not are you afraid 
because the fact that at the beginning you did hide your gender, you hid, you hid who you were as far as the creator of this brand. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's something, would you say that's something you regret now when you think back? Not at all. Okay. I mean, because people know about the brand, you know, like a lot of people know. I mean, we've just like BET just did, did a major like I, I'm not hidden anymore. I haven't been hidden since the 90s, you know, so you literally have to be under a rock if you're in fashion or streetwear not to know me or not of the culture like that part I get. But even still, like even still at a certain point okay, see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And then there's accountability. How do we rectify that situation? You know, and the first step is to, to see it. Right. And to say, you know what, I'm responsible. I don't even understand what two W's are. I could see an OW, but I don't even get it. So that's the first thing, but I, I don't, I don't want to even go any further on that because, um, I'm not really supposed to be really talking about it. I did do a live today, so you could check that out. It's on my um, Instagram, just because it was heavy on my heart. Yeah. And it was kind of on the subject of what we're talking about. But, you know, God, whatever God has for you, you won't miss. So I'm not worried about it. My whole thinking was to, um, I've always stood up for myself and as a woman, we have to be very proactive and intentional and use our voice. And I'm not, never going to not do that. And right. And I'm always going to protect my brand because it's, it's, it's a legacy brand. It's been here for three decades plus, and we're not going anywhere. So last year was our best year wow. in the midst of a pandemic quietly. So, you know, I'm thankful. So thankful because you know how many businesses are here after last year. So I don't take anything for granted. That's a testament to your hustle. I tell people too, I was like, I don't want to disrespect the pandemic and the people that's going through hard times because this is a hard time we're all witnessing and going through. But the fact that I'm able to create a platform, push through and thrive has been Amen. as well. That's like, major. Like, yeah, huge. Salute. Yes, thank you. Um, and definitely we get off that, but I was with you because I was looking at the comments, O-W-W-W, where's the, what, it really doesn't make sense. So I'm riding with you on this because it was given to me in a DM from someone that's very influential in hip hop. And it was just like, this is wrong. And then reading the comments and just seeing that some people don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're like, she's reaching and all that. And I'm like, right. that's because y'all don't know. That's it. That's it. But those are millennials, you know, and those are people that just don't know. They wouldn't know regardless. You know what I mean? So I don't even, but that's why we have to use our voice because, because now they know, you know how many, so from that fashion bomb daily, it was interesting. I picked up so many new, uh, audience i picked up a new audience of millennials because now they're following me and i think they'll figure it out on their own you know what i mean it, it doesn't i'm not there to convince them i'm just laying out facts you know yes i'm a proud millennial myself i do my research i know the i know the history that's great my niece is like that too you yeah. know we have some but some don't you know and okay. we're living in a world of fake news so that's the scary part mm -hmm. Are you afraid of not getting your credit or being erased in, in when it comes to history? No. Afraid of that? Okay. 
because we live in a time where we get to tell our own story. Talk about it. So I'm telling mine, you know, and and it's being recorded and it's like literally being cemented in history. I'm in history books. I'm on, I'm in films. I'm in like whoever, whoever wants to find me will find me, you know, last I'm thankful. Um, BET did a huge legacy piece on me last month. You know, like my, my, my folks are my folks. Yes. So, you know, I'm really grateful. InStyle just did a piece on all of us that really covered black women who have contributed to fashion and it, it was who have been forgotten about, you know, that created streetwear. So I think in time, you know, with God's assistant, it all unfolds at the right time. I'm working on my memoir. It's other things happening, you know, um, and, and in God's speed. Yes. We're here now talking. So you're recording history. Period. That's what this is all about for me. <laughs> Making sure that the message is out there. That's why I'm so Thank happy. Thank you. You're so welcome. Uh, talk to me about sisters. Last year was your biggest year. Moving forward. Who are some of the people right now that you see doing their thing in hip hop or whatever that you would love to be a part of their journey and style and dress and would love to see in one of your pieces? Hmm. That's interesting. That's a good question. Um, it, it not, like I love Ari Lennox. I love her. I like Giveon. Beautiful voice. I love D Smoke. I love Sir, you know, S-I-R. <laughs> um, you know, like I like J. Cole a lot. You know, I've always been a fan of J. Cole. Kendrick. Mm. You know, and I think those people align with the brand well. You know, I'm also about alignment. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many others. Her, I love her. Yes. You know, um, but you know, like, yeah, I have a list. Yeah, I see. Those are some good ones. <laughs> you asked me, I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was no struggle on your part. At first, I was like, ooh, I wonder what she's going to say. You you got it right off the top of the dome. So it's, it's there. And that just goes to show that it's going to happen. When they ask yeah. about Stallion, who you want to collaborate with, right. pre interview Beyonce and what we got. Saturday. Right. So. Right. There we got it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's going to happen. Uh, what with on that before I let you go, because back in the you know 90s when all of that was happening, who was it then that you really wanted to see in your designs that you wasn't able to work with that you wish you had? Because you had everybody, I mean, Tupac, you could stop there if you wanted to, since but you did, and I'm glad you didn't. But <laughs> I'm trying to think right now who okay. did I miss. I don't know about back then, but I will say I wish I could have met and worked with, I wish I could have had Nipsey in a piece. Mm -hmm. That's the one person I, I felt like, damn, just because he was so important to the culture and he seemed like he was such an amazing human being and he was my tribe. Like everything he talks about, 
I've been saying. So it's like we're the same, like in the spirit. So I would have loved to work with Nipsey Hussle. Wow, that's a good one. I want to talk to you about camaraderie with other women in the field. Mm -hmm. How was that for you coming up? Because again, with the remix, it shed light on you and your career, Dapper Dan, and also um, Misa Hilton. Were mm -hmm. you guys ever um, like cool at that time? Were ever worked together? Like, what what was that like? And was there other women around that time too that you guys kind of like connected with? So yeah, I met Misa. I was working with Def Jam, and she was interning at Def Jam then um, with Rhonda Cowan, and then she started styling from that. Always been consistent, always been the same person, always been beautiful, super talented. Um, so Misa's been, yeah, I've known her since she was a teenager, and then, um, June I met very early on. June was when she was first getting into styling June Ambrose. Um, which before she was styling, she was um at Cross Colors. And I met her then. Um, I'm trying to remember was a Sybil Penix, which a lot of you might not know, but she is responsible for a lot of looks that you will see from from Bad Boy. Mm, she did a lot of Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Stuff. Um, when at no at Uptown Records, that Sybil Penix is a big. You should look her up. She's definitely one of the major stylists that you know. When you look at like Esther, uh, when you look at Total, and some of the other artists there, that was that was her. Um, she did a lot, and then yeah, like there weren't that many of us. But did y'all, were y'all cool? Were y'all giving each other like- Yeah, we were all cool. It was hip hop then, like yeah. hip hop was different than, mm -hmm. I think it's become a lot more competitive. We were rooting for each other. Good. We were we were rooting for each other. You know, we had this whole movement of like, um, you know, Misa styling and, and that, you know, we, we worked together. Good. Whereas now I don't feel like, I feel like everything's about a paycheck and not that we shouldn't be getting paid. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to lift each other up and lift as we climb, mm -hmm. we have to be intentional and it can't all be about a check. You know what I mean? Cause, cause that's how we empower our communities by helping each other. So, um, yeah. Well, before I let you go, my last question to you is for any young girls out here, especially women of color, that's looking to do what it is you do, because it's still not too many. I mean, you look at what's going on with Ruth E. Carter, 30 years in the game, and she just recently won an Oscar for, you know, costume design. And now she has a star in a walk of fame. And, and during her time, she said she didn't see anybody that looked like her doing what she does now and you being so influential in hip hop and having such an amazing career. And I know someone watching this right now is inspired by you and probably don't know how the hell they can do it or what they should do. What would you want to tell them to inspire them? I would tell them 
for whatever you want to do to have faith over fear, I would tell them that it's no one else's job to believe in you. It's your job to believe in you. So you have to believe in yourself relentlessly and you have to be willing to be your own student, your own cheerleader and your own coach. I would tell someone to become immersed in what you love by doing the work and enjoying the process of doing the work. You know, a lot of us want to get to the top of the mountain, but we don't want to climb it. You know, there's no way to get around it by doing the work. You have to do the work. Like the thing is, is even if you were able to get to the top, it's not sustainable unless you've done the work. So you need to do the work because that's where your win is. And in my experience and talking to others, you don't remember the win when you get the win. You remember all the process to get there, to get that win. And that's when you really appreciate the win. So I would say be present in the moment because every moment has something to teach you and i would say stay humble and that humility is big and being humble like confidence and humility can live in the same house you know and i would say swing with aim so know that like if you want something see that see where you want it like what do you want be as clear as you can in defining what your dream is and what that looks like for you. So that's going to take some visualization there. But once you see it, now it's your job to get there and reverse engineer. And then it's just like one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot, and you'll get there. Mm, I'm like, wow, right now I'm with that. Confidence and humility can live in the same house, but not fear and faith. I like that. Faith over fear. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't sum it up in a sentence, I don't know. When it's all said and done, how would April Walker like to be remembered? She believed in her own magic and then she became. There you go. April, thank you so much. Thank for you, being sis. Here. Thank you. You've been wonderful. And thank you for all you're doing for the culture now. I appreciate that so much. I'm inspired by you. So keep doing what you're doing. I'm rooting for you and everything you, know. everything you got going on. And I will talk to you later. All right, have a great one. You too. Bye. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.